Welcome to the show where three friends rate, debate, and investigate the films you'll love to see and hate to see. This is You'll Love to See It. So four star films, uh, three to four stars. Um, who started last? I don't even remember. I think it was Caleb. No, it was Eric. Eric. Okay. Caleb, do you want to start with this one then? And I'll go sure. second. Four stars. <laughs> uh, I could not get through a, a segment uh, detailing rated films without bringing up who I think is the greatest writer we working today. Uh Perhaps of all time, who knows? Charlie Kaufman in this four-star film, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, man. See, you you took one. That was actually, I'm going to be honest, one of my five stars. I'm so sorry. No, it's good. It's it's good. I God, what, what a, a beauty! It's it is. I'm 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 excited that we're now at a point where we can start talking good about films now. You know, not that we didn't enjoy any of the films we talked about um, before, but. Caleb, talk about Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, please. This this movie's uh, fantastic. It's just extraordinary. Uh, I think I, I've written about uh, Kaufman that uh, I think he understands the human condition better and, and is able to reflect it back to a viewer better than anyone, I, I any filmmaker I've ever watched. Uh... And this is this is a movie about love and heartbreak and sorrow, but it's it's. I guess it, if you don't know, story follows uh, this guy Joel and his Clementine, Clementine. which is played by who? Uh, which is played by <laughs> Mr. Er- Carey himself, Jim, Jim. Carey. Fa- uh, his best role. My my favorite role of his. Thank you. You're, uh, not wait till the Sonic movie comes out. <laughs> <laughs> he he is just phenomenal. It's Jim. It's Joel and Clementine uh, as they fall in love, and if there's this procedure in the movie where one can uh, erase their memories of of another person, usually of someone they were once in a relationship with, uh, and. First of all, brilliant high concept uh, by Kaufman, but just executed so poignantly, and you you really see just how just how powerful uh, the this this love is that memory is that you know memories are all you really can hold on to at the end of the day. That's the only way you can really know a person beyond the present moment. And it, it, Kaufman just expresses that so clearly and so beautifully, uh, along with pulling out some, some non-linear tricks, uh, along with, you know, great dialogue along with some crazy, uh, editing, crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And just, and some crazy, uh, just nice, like you're saying, the visually, ending? yeah, visually crazy, and um, one of the greatest 
endings of all time with just such simple dialogue to to close to close the movie but just it works and you if you want to feel something in a movie this is this is a a great place to start uh, i i mean i love this I, I i saw it last year for the first time and i mean i couldn't agree with what you what you said anymore it's 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 great um you what do you guys have it rated so you have it a four i have it at four it's a five. It's a five for you. It's yeah. a five for me as well. It's um, which, I, which I know Caleb still loves it. It's, you know, just because it's a four doesn't mean he, you know, it isn't like a masterpiece for him. But it's uh, it's. I I have never I think felt, the kind of emotions that I have felt watching that film. I think all of Kaufman's films, are so, like, viscerally just like. They get right to the core of like. The human, I, I guess what you said, like the human condition, like the most basic fears, desires, hopes, dreams, loss, like, but in the most abstract way. And in a, it doesn't feel that abstract when you watch it. And I think that's part of the brilliance of it. But it makes you feel, I think part of the like impressionistic, like more abstract elements of it make you feel it and understand it in such like a like an ineffable way it's so hard to describe how much a film like eternal sunshine makes you like feel emotions is that your favorite kaufman film <laughs> no <laughs> what is is that even a question oh i know what it is <laughs> it's <laughs> we're oh. gonna be talking about this in a little bit really? save it for now i, I, well, I don't have it slated but i i think it would be probably does right if we didn't have a podcast discussing Sonetsky New York but I, neither of you are mentioning it wow I mean I I have to say I think yeah I mean well we can just mention it super quickly I know for you guys it's both uh five stars um it's I've seen it once um it was interesting I think I need to rewatch the movie it's definitely a movie that warrants a rewatch for sure I watched it once and maybe it's own episode it <laughs> and maybe, does no, our, you know I, I will just say please watch this but also i've seen this film three times now it just gets better and better the first time three times four times i've seen it i saw it the first time on my own and then just with other people every time but the first time i watched it i went out and took a four-hour walk by myself and the next time i watched it it like shook me like in, in the way nothing has ever like has ever shaken me before the one thing I'll say is someone who's seen it, you know, I think I definitely need to rewatch to really understand it more. But I, I the brilliance of Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, like, he is just such a phenomenal, I mean, he was such a phenomenal actor. And, yeah. you know, I, I, sometimes I wonder, you know, what kind of movies he'd be doing now, you know. Yeah, let's pen that in as a future episode. I know, I'm, I'm <laughs> we down. We could talk about it forever. I, I, you know, we'll, we'll probably, maybe we'll do a rewatch and then and do it and do a commentary on it or Amen. something. Easily my longest review that I've ever written was for Synecdoche. But for wow. for any Kaufman movie, I think Synecdoche or Eternal Sunshine or whatever, you know, you can sit down and, and try and analyze uh, why it works as a movie, quote-unquote works, but at the end of the day... I guess this is some of my own like personal philosophy, but I think a, a movie is as effective as how it makes you feel, and uh, Kaufman knows how to how to tune into that and not only tell brilliant story 
uh, but just make you feel things. Speaking of a film that makes you feel things, um, I was introduced to this next movie, uh, introduced to this movie by Eric Zhu, and it has become one of my favorite, and he has become one of my favorite actors. Um, I and know exactly what it is. He, uh, you know, we're gonna we we're gonna be too. seeing him uh, soon uh, on the big screen, played uh, playing Joker. Um, and and I, and I asked Eric, I was like, "Do you think this could ever get close to this movie?" And how well he portrays his character. And Eric said, "No, he just doesn't think it's possible." Um, now, there's obviously two movies that I could be talking about, but the one that I've seen that I'm going to focus that I think is just a phenomenal movie is her. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, you know, might be one of the best recent actors I have seen. Um, he is a very powerful actor. Um, and her was, uh, I watched it by myself and I, you recommended, I think you like text me, you know, Hey, have you seen this? And I was like, nah, you know, I'll watch it tonight. And I came out of that movie feeling like I had just experienced something that people who haven't seen that movie couldn't understand. Like the, the amount that Joaquin Phoenix can make you feel towards one person. And, and it's not just him, right? It's also like the writing, but that movie, it, it's just, it's, I can't even vocalize how, how it made me feel because it was, it was very powerful. It's like a, I saw a review the other day on Letterboxd saying it's, if you're, if you're sad, it's like a warm hug. And if you're happy, it'll make you a little somber. Yeah. And I think that's, a, I think, I think, I think my favorite part about this Joaquin Phoenix performance is that I think a lot of Joaquin Phoenix performances, it looks like the Joker is like that, but especially I'm thinking of like the master. They're very <laughs> like, like physical. They're very like, a lot of it seems to be like, he is a phenomenal actor. He's one of my favorite actors of this decade, but it's so different from his other performances. And that's why it's something special to me. But it's it comes down to just everything about it. There's this scene where he is on the beach and there's like these flashes of lens flares that sort of like that sort of are in tune with when Scarlett Johan Well, okay, her is about Joaquin Phoenix and it's a Spike Jones love story about Joaquin Phoenix, um Theodore Twombly and his relationship with his AI. And who is voiced by perfectly Johansson. by Scarlett Johansson. And it's about her So they're on the beach and there's these lens flares as the camera sort of like directed towards the sun a little that sort of match up to when Scarlett Johansson is talking. And she says there's this piece in the background it's hauntingly beautiful and he asks what it is and she's like this is the best way I could like sum up this movie. She says, like, the movie is what it feels like to be on the beach with Theodore. And that feeling of, like, tranquility, calmness, yet also such happiness, yet also sort of bittersweetness, knowing that it's probably not going to last forever, is probably the best description I could have of this movie. Well, and we had conversation, I think, recently about the ending um, which we're not going to get too much into, but I, you know, 
Amy Adams is also in that movie. Um, and, you know, we both saw the ending differently. You know, di- didn't we? Like, you, you saw it as more optimistic, and I saw it as more pessimistic. You know, I, I think we could, I mean, I, I feel comfortable talking about the movies. You know, do you want to, like, kind of say what happens in okay, the Okay, so, essentially... The f- spoiler alert, the, by the spoiler way. Spoiler alert, if you don't want to be spoiled about the ending of her, which very understandable tune off but all of the so essentially everyone in this city is connected to their ais it's sort of like this modern world where everyone is more like in love with their phone than other people but at, at the beginning you don't you don't know that you you almost feel like it, this is a special relationship right yeah but then it's, you slowly realize that every person is having this relationship with their with their ai but all of the ais leave essentially and the final shot is a, an embrace between Theodore and Amy Adams' character. Who I, who I really yeah, I don't remember what her name is. See, I, I know that you took it, and and Caleb, I'm kind of curious what you thought. You, you have whose character's name is Amy? <laughs> Perfect. In an embrace on the top of a roof, staring out at this beautiful city. Um, and and you like this movie, right, Caleb? Very much so. What it, what it, how did you feel about the ending? Did you did you what it, what did you feel it left? Do you think it left a uh, feeling of hope? Do you think it left a feeling of I, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of curious what you feel. It has been almost five years now, but from what I can remember, uh, from my 14 year old self, <laughs> oh, I saw this when I was 14. Um, Probably then I saw it as more optimistic and that, you know, at least, you know, the people are, are still there and I have a belief in people to continue and just fight on uh, despite obstacles that, that come in the way that people are inherently persistent and as long as they have each other, you know, something good can happen. So I think that's that's how how I saw it. And would I still see it that way? Uh, I'd probably still have that belief uh, as I've as I've grown old and and gray and and upset <laughs> no, at your, the world. I can see your gray hairs coming through right now. Uh, I've I've get yeah, I've almost certainly become more. Cynical, Not even kidding. I have but... white hairs, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know I. It's okay. At least your your beard isn't the opposite color of your of your of your head. So it's okay. Yeah. If only this was a video podcast. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, it's just a beautiful ending. Uh, regardless, it, it is a great movie. I gotta say. Um, Spike Jones debuted his his feature film debut being John Malkovich with Charlie Kaufman. It seemed like he made a Kaufman esque film in this. There's I read something pretty interesting that. In order to make the film seem as believable as possible, the cinematographer, this isn't really related to anything, but the cinematographer Hoyt Van Hoytma um, actually got rid of all shades of blue in this film to try to escape it from like a typical sci-fi look. Really interesting. Huh. I did not know that. I mean, you know, it doesn't feel like a sci-fi movie. That's the, that's the no. good thing about it is it doesn't Definitely feel like That's what like the entire film hinges drama. on. Yeah. Yeah. But all right, what do you got, Eric? You got a, you got a four star movie you want to talk about? What do you got, about? Eric? Oh, we're we're on a theme here. This desire for human like 
this need for human love. Like, maybe we're on a theme. Maybe My it, film is, <laughs> I know one of Caleb's favorites. Have I seen this? No. I haven't. Okay. Sofia well, Coppola's Lost in Translation. Excellent film. There's, it's about Bill Murray, who is a famous film actor. He's sort of stalled out in his career a little. He's not exactly content with his family life. He's in Japan to do an advertisement shoot with a liquor company. It might be tequila. It was whiskey. whiskey it's whiskey. And it also is about Scarlett Johansson, who is married, who has just graduated college pretty recently. Philosophy major, hasn't really found a career yet. And she comes to Tokyo with her husband, who is uh, who is a photographer. And they're both staying in this hotel. And it's just this beautiful story of alienation and this like desire for human connection. There's something so... I rewatched this film last spring, I would say. And something that I read about and something that I really noticed, the way... First of all, the soundtrack is perfect for this. But other than that, the whenever the two characters are in the hotel, the lighting is almost divine. It's like a it's like this place when they're together without the like without like sort of the meaningless like distractions of the outside world that they can't understand and it doesn't seem to understand them is this divine state of being that they're in and it's it's so cathartic. Um, and I think most people have probably heard of that final whisper. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Um, the There's just so many beautiful scenes. Like, I immediately think of that phone call between Scarlett Johansson's character when she calls her friend back home. And maybe not intentionally, but her friend is sort of dismissive. That's a beautiful scene to me. And that scene when um, Scarlett Johansson is with Bill Murray and they're talking about the way their lives have sort of like their, how their lives have some of, sort of come across and she asks like does it get any better just amazing amazing wow I'll have to watch this I think for me some parts of it haven't necessarily quite aged that well some of the jokes don't necessarily hit anymore I think there's a specific like a specific scene with a woman who asks Bill Murray to um, lick her stocking that uh, doesn't necessarily sit quite well with me. But I think for me, a four-star film is sort of categorized as like maybe in, an, like in another life, this would be one of my favorite films because it's just so well done, but maybe doesn't hit me as viscerally, for, like, as, viscerally as some of my five stars. Yeah, you, you covered a lot there. Um... It's really just a movie about two, like you said, two people who are looking for connection, but also two people who are struggling to to find their purpose. And it's about reaching out to other people so you can find something that completes you on the inside. It's 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 so beautifully both, you know, inside and outside of the human body and the human mind and the human soul and it's just it's just two people uh two people falling in love not even not even necessarily in in a romantic sense i'm actually curious do you think the second time i watched it i was 
more the first time I watched it, I was pretty sure it was platonic. The second time, I wasn't as sure. Yeah, I, the more I think about it, the the less platonic it seems. But even even so, it's it's not a necessary the the kind of love that mm-hmm. I think they find is not necessarily romantic. Mm-hmm. It does it doesn't have to be romantic, but it's it is just pure love i think and another reason it's so it means a lot to me is that and this movie has inspired my own writing more than most i can think of and always got to be thankful when when you can come across some some inspiration for for your own stuff i think but just a beautiful little well, this movie will definitely be added to my list because I've heard Eric talk about it quite a bit, and I'm yeah, I'm very curious about it. Um, but I know it's going to be you next, but I actually think it's a perfect segue into one of the movies I have Ooh. because it has two things in common oh, with Lost in Translation, and that is one, it deals with trying to find a way to complete yourself on the inside, and two. It stars Bill Murray. See, you took a five star <laughs> from me now, Zach. <laughs> I apologize. And this movie is actually a four and a half for me. Um, I think it should be a five. I've, I I think it might be just about there. Um, and it honestly might be because it is. I mean, I don't I don't think Eric's seen this movie, have you? Yeah, of course. Oh, you, so, you, so of okay. course okay. It, I, I it's Groundhog Day. It, it is. It is Groundhog's <laughs> Day. Um, it is. Wow. Uh, I did not expect that movie to be so real as it was. I, I, I expected, you know, when I when I when I thought when I saw Bill Murray, you know, I saw this the first time um, this summer. When I saw it was Bill Murray, you know, I've, I've been a fan of some of other Bill Murray's other films like Ghostbusters and things like that. But I, I expected like a silly comedy. I was expecting, you know, what this is Bill Murray. It's probably just going to be one of those comedies that, you know, you laugh a little bit, you know, probably would have been you know, made more sense in the 80s, blah, 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 um, or 90s when it came out. But Groundhog's Day is such a real film that it transcends time because it's so practical in its theme of discovering what you what you know, what you're missing in life. You know, it, it, it just rings true today so much um you know if you if you don't know the premise um and I've, i'm sure most people have seen groundhog's day but it's essentially about a weatherman who goes to uh the groundhog's day festival in the middle of what state does it take place in in um it's in puxatawney puxatawney yeah. and um uh it's just this small town that has this uh you know groundhog's day celebration and he goes to this town and he you know he really doesn't want to be here and you know uh, you know, he's just kind of ready to get back to his, you know, normal mundane life. You know, he's this kind of hot shot weather reporter who doesn't really have much of a, you know. Thinks he's going to receive a promotion. So he's not, he doesn't really care about yeah. this current. He's ready to move on to, to greener pastures. Yeah. And, you know, what ends up happening is he ends up, what, what how did he get, what, what, did he make a, we can make a wish. What I don't I forget what happened. Like he wakes up. He just wakes up and time is and it's and it's the day before. Yeah. And and then it and it goes like that. You know, it, there's been a lot of movies that have based um that have, you know, gone through that whole 
you know, what if I woke up and it was the same day or, you know, what if I, you know, I had the ability to control time and go back. And, you know, this was, I was expecting this to be one of those movies that would just be, again, a silly comedy where you wouldn't get much more than a few laughs out of it. But it was so much more than that. I mean, what what, what about it did you love, Caleb? Uh, it's it's genius. Uh, it's such a simple premise. Uh, it really is, you know, guy wakes up and it's the same day. But the amount of growth you see in Bill Murray's character, Phil, uh, also the same name as the Groundhog, great stuff, <laughs> uh, is tremendous. You really see him go through basically all the stages of depression. Um, that's that's 100% true. And... What, what what would you do if you could live a life where nothing mattered and there were no consequences? What what would you do? And would you be able to get out of bed and, and even try anything exciting? There's some, some brilliant philosophical questions there, and it's just, I don't know, just so smart with how it handles the whole situation. Bill Murray turns in an all-time performance. Uh, and at, at its core, it's also a, a pretty... Nice love story. It is. No, Caleb, it, it Bill it Murray is. and Groundhog Day versus Bill Murray and Lost in Translation. <laughs> that might be a hard Bill one. Bill Murray and Groundhog Day. Wow. Ooh. Well, you know, and what I wanted to, you know, what I wanted to mention is that premise, right, of waking up and repeating the same day. Um, on a base level, you'd think, ah, you know, what's the first thing? Oh, I could do whatever I want. I could, you know, steal a car. And, and then he goes through that phase, right? Mm -hmm. He has that phase in the movie where he's taking risks he's doing things that he would never do nothing because, matters, yeah, yeah nothing matters to me the th point that hit so strongly was after he realized he couldn't escape it mm -hmm. was when he realized he was stuck here and he would never be able after he realized what he wanted more out of life he realized he came to this conclusion that you know he's kind of you know he's trying to fall in love with this woman and he does and you know he wants to be with her and he wants to, you know, he's, he's, he's changing, right? But he can't escape the day repeating over and over again. And, and it was so powerful to watch him. And, you know, this is obviously all spoiler alerts. Um, but he, he, he tries to kill himself multiple times. He jumps off a building. He, you know, all these things because he just wants it to be over. And, and it's like this, it becomes this sick kind of like torture for mm -hmm. him. And watching Bill Murray go from, you know, this loose cannon of a guy who's cocky and then finds out he can do all this stuff and get away with it to then realizing he's he misses the little things in life, realizes he misses being able to be vulnerable and he doesn't like the ability that he's been given or, you know, the, the situation that's happened to him. It's just, it's just it's a beautiful transformation. It is. It really is. And it, it, and I don't think another movie that deals with that time, you know, that the distortion of time can ever surpass what, what Groundhog's Day did with In it. In the span of a movie, he truly, believably goes from being a jerk to learning how to become a good person. And he ends a good person. And I think maybe the most touching, the, the, the best... The most well executed part of the movie is, uh, you know, eventually it's again spoilers, a few spoilers here. Uh, it's it's him basically trying to 
you know, he's fallen in love with uh, Andy McDowell and is trying to to be with her and, you know, keeps learning things about her yeah. throughout his many, many attempts. And you the audience kind of starts to feel like, okay, once uh, he uh, finally gets with her, then he'll be broken from the spell. And one night they fall asleep in the same bed and then the next morning uh he wakes he wakes up and the camera's just on him and you're like oh it's over finally like he's broken out like this was the key all along and then you you zoom out and it's back and it's the same day again and just brilliant storytelling there and great that's and that's the message of the movie it's like it's not about and it's not, not about you it's not about it's not it's just about him learning to become a good person and that's that's what gets him out and that's at the end of the day a kind of salvation not to be good to yourself but to be good and help others around you uh that's that's what it what it spells out a great message just so so beautifully so well told well and the the, the part that's so amazing to me is how believable it is. And, and you said it. It's just like you, you see similar movies, right? Um, I can't say, think of one off the top of my head, but you see Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Well, Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day <laughs> to you. <laughs> you. You see you see these movies where characters are expected to change, right? But you, you, you feel dissatisfied at the end of the movie because you don't feel like they've actually changed. You yeah. feel like they've taken advantage of the situation and they've realized to get out of it, they needed to change. But you don't feel like they've changed. But with this movie, you feel like you've watched Bill Murray's character go through about 50 lifetimes. You feel like you've watched him break down as a man and truly become a new person. And then that, that's what's amazing about it. You know, I mean, we could talk about this movie for for hours. It, I, I was I saw it this summer and I was just blown away. It's amazing. Yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Groundhog. I think I watched it eight years ago in seventh grade leadership class. Did it inspire time for a rewatch. It is time for a rewatch, but I remember enjoying it. I do think seventh grade leadership class had maybe had an effect and maybe feeling it less. But great choice. Caleb, you got another four stars for four us? Four star. Right after I rag on the old Hitchcock, he's back in from he's what back. I, from what I've seen from his catalog, easily his best work, and that is Vertigo. Wow, this is this I think is where his uh, abilities, his talent, all gets put together. Uh, I think this is the best script from again from what I've seen that he's had to work with. Uh, the mise en scène in this is just ridiculous. The colors are absolutely astounding. Uh, visually, it's it's just remarkable. I I you can't exaggerate uh how how great this looks how well made is how thought out every frame is it's it's really something i i i just can't believe the same guy who made you know strangers on a train and psycho and rope stuff that i was not a fan of uh put this together and here you have jimmy stewart being awesome as as he is uh you know one of the great actors of of that generation and oh it's just it 
it had been a while since a movie made me think as much about it after the fact as as Vertigo did. It's just it's haunting. It's it's disturbing, and it's and it's a great character study. Uh, the more uh, the the deeper into the film you get, the characters just have these slight tweaks that change. I mean, you see them from new perspectives, and boy, does it get just crazy at the end. It's just it's a brilliantly made film uh, from the conception, from from the script, uh, where they drop hints throughout. Uh, to point where you can start figuring things out, but you're you're not. It's uh, unlikely on a first viewing you're gonna piece it all together before the the big reveal. Uh, to the acting, just awesome. Uh, Jimmy Stewart and and Kim Novak uh, are great together. Uh, to to the everything in the frame, the mise en scène, the lighting, and especially the colors are just excellent and it's just a super solid solid film and it, you know something we haven't talked about much but it, today but it keeps you keeps you thinking afterwards which i think is another criteria of, of a great great movie yeah i agree you know i vert i have a lot of blind spots vertigo is probably one of the biggest i i've been mean to watch it but actually i've been saving it up because i'm going to st louis in a couple of weeks Gonna be attending a thirty-five millimeter screening. Wow! As I saw this at the Egyptian Theater in Los Angeles in seventy millimeter. And... Wait a little one off, jeez. Well, I mean, if we're dropping, if we're dropping some millimeter here, but no, I mean, if it is still being screened, I guess uh, around the country. So, uh, I actually... if you can see it on a theater or on a big screen, then I would recommend that yeah i have not seen it either so that might have to be one that if we find a screening uh i go see this next one i don't think you guys haven't seen but i would love for the main thing is i want to i want to watch this again with you guys okay go ahead it's it's less dark this is one of the most fun movies i've seen in my life it's called it's from 1984 it's juzo otami's tempopo and it's literally a love letter to food (laughs) <laughs> and a love letter to fanatics. It's about this woman whose ramen shop is unfortunately not doing so hot. So she that enlists the help of some some people she gets off a train essentially who have just gotten in a fight in like sort of like a gang fight. Um, one of them who's played by Ken Watanabe. Um, and they go and help her improve her ramen cooking skills. And like this happens through like her like getting like them trying to get someone to teach her how to make better ramen, them trying to like covertly go steal like recipes. But it's also mixed in with vignettes of just people who love food. There it's the most exciting. It, there's West there's like some aspects of a Western in it. It's erotic in some scenes. Like there's a an egg yolk scene that I like do not want to spoil but it is like one of the most it is one of the funniest and most (laughs) ridiculous things i've seen in like my life but i'll I'll give one of them away it's one of the funniest scenes in the entire movie it's these japanese people it's this japanese like etiquette class and they're in 
I think, and they're in Italy. Oh, so all these vignettes are completely unrelated to the main story of this. And she, um, they're all women, and there's this lead lady. They might be in Italy. They're, but they're eating spaghetti, I think. And she's teaching them, like, you eat the spaghetti, like, one strand at a time. Wrap it around your fork and eat while making as little sound as possible. And then suddenly, like, all the, like, authentic Italians around them are just, like, wildly slurping all of their spaghetti. And everyone (laughs) on the table is just so incredibly conflicted about what to do. And it just turns into just pure unbridled chaos. You know, as an Italian, I can attest that slurping our uh, spaghetti. (laughs) The first scene of the film, after, like, a fourth wall break, is... About is two people. This one, this man telling another man how to eat ramen. He, the first thing he goes is caress your ramen, like show your pork some love. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Tap the pork three times. Apologize to your pork, and it's it's <laughs> hilarious. It's fun. It's invented. Like it's amazing. Is this a foreign film? Yes, it's Japanese. Okay, wow. I I I have never heard you talk about every this person before. I've. Like sort of talked about this too. That's seen it, like loves it. It's so good. That's interesting. We've you've never talked to me about this before. I um I watched it over summer. Okay, so yeah. it is a newer film. Yeah, I have uh, I, you know, if it's about food, I might be down. All right, what do we got next? I'm gonna you know what? I'm gonna throw some out rapid fire just because mine I don't think want to warrant too many discussions. Um, I'm just gonna throw the rest of mine out and then. If you guys have any more, we can do those, and then we'll move on to the ones I know we're going to spend a chunk of time on because they are our favorite There's films. There's one more I want to spend. Um, no, no, you're fine. I'm just going to throw out some that I have as rated as four stars, uh, three to four. Um, I know you didn't like it, but I rated Arrival a three and a half. Um, I thought it's a solid film. I know, you know, I, I know it's maybe not. I I think the reason why is because I think Amy Adams is just phenomenal in it again. And I, I, you know that I love sci-fi, and I just, I, you know, I don't know. I, what do you, you guys don't are not huge fans of it, right? I, I thought it was, it was a fine movie, and I'm just blind to the the supposed genius of it. It's I, so positioned as a flashback at the beginning. What do you mean? It it goes back to how constructed and like strange some of. Denis Villeneuve's, like, <laughs> the, the like, endings seem. The it, it, beginning it, of the film, is to me, is very, very much so, like, framed. There is a big twist. A you can say that. And the twist just feels off to me. The twist just didn't blow me away like I think it did to many people. And that's... It's that's, so that's, gripping that's, that's where the, the disconnect beginning. is. It's me. so gripping in the, like, linguist... Like, I'm a cognitive science major. Like, I love linguistics. I've taken like a lot of linguistics classes. I it's so interesting until the ending just kind of like. Yeah, I can it, understand. It, it that. didn't finish it off for me. I can understand that. Um, the other the other three that are just quick on my three to fours, and I think all these are fours. Um, is uh one of them is an older movie. It's my favorite movie. I watch it every Christmas, and that is It's a Wonderful Life. Phenomenal movie, uh, classic to me. You know, it's, it's, you know, got to, you know, it might have a lot of that nostalgia factor as well, but it's kind of about learning to, you know, be who you are and, you know, learning to 
be satisfied with life, you know, and then it's got a very interesting the last, you know, big section of the movies about, you know, what if I wish my life away? Like, it didn't exist and that became true. And, you know, it's very classic. It's very cliche in some aspects, but I still uh, still love that movie. The other two are, uh, I think, fairly well-received movies. One of them we just saw, and I know Caleb hasn't seen this yet, but Hustlers. I rated that a four-star. It's so fun. It it's just was incredible just fun. a fun I think, movie. I think there's maybe, the more I think about it, some parts of it that aren't necessarily as gripping in terms of the way it's structured, but it's, especially the first half of it, is just such pure energy. Yeah, I, I, I walked out of that theater just, so that happy. was good. Yeah. That was a fun movie. And yeah, you know, I just think, what the thing I liked about most is that it, there's there's been this recurring theme of doing these movies about, not criminals, but like, think of the movie, you guys have maybe seen or heard of the movie War Dogs that came out a few years ago about I've, yeah I've yeah there's there's a couple I movies you're gonna say like unfortunately <laughs> no well i mean there's a couple movies like that you know where it's like this thing happens it's kind of set in a flashback and it's like retelling this like crime it's you know because of what happened in hustlers is you know criminal um but like Speaking of which double indemnity is like that and it's a no for yeah me. it's just like most movies don't it. know how to do it right hustlers <laughs> knows how to do it and it knows how to stay fun the last one that i have on here is I don't think a super hot take, but it's The Social Network. Um, I really enjoyed that movie. I think it's a four star for me personally. Um, I, there's definitely some very obvious issues with the movie, but I think it works well enough. Um, I I just I I just think that overall you get this really interesting. You know, biopics are are always hard. You know, I I biopics have been overdone recently and. A lot of them haven't been great. And Social Network is kind of a biopic, but it's more of a, like... Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, Aaron Sorkin. I mean, you're right, you're right. And, you know, Aaron Sorkin has a reputation uh, when it comes to his movies. And I I enjoyed it. Um, To me, it, it just felt very, felt very raw, felt very real, especially when you're, you're seeing how... You know, and obviously Mark Zuckerberg, um, if you don't know, Social Network is about Mark Zuckerberg's life and, uh, you know, how he gets into Facebook and stuff. Um, and it just felt, you know, of course, he is going to say not a lot of it is true and stuff like that. But it felt like a really just real movie. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I've never been as high on Fincher, I think, as a lot of people are. But it works. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about you guys? What, what are some final thoughts and some four stars? You guys got throw some out, some highlights on my four star list. Um, a couple weeks ago, I watched Max Ophel's The Earrings of Madame De. Very enjoyable. Um, Wings of Desire in Paris, Texas, definitely high on my four star list. At Paris, Texas. I've been intrigued to watch that. You told me that's a so very good, good movie. Um, almost the entire Three Colors trilogy is four stars for me. Um, the one I sort of wanted to talk more about, A Ghost Story. Um, I think a ghost story is like a weird spot on my four star list. It's very much so a film that's like a tale of two halves for me. The first, it's about, um, so it's first about, it's about Casey Affleck and um, Rooney Marr. There are a couple and Casey Affleck dies like pretty soon into the beginning. And he comes back as this ghost wearing like a white sheet who can't interact with um, anyone around him except for some other ghosts that he, like, sees along the way. But 
um, he can watch over his family, like his family, as essentially Rooney Mara grieves and like moves on. Um, the first half of that movie is such a haunting portrayal of like loneliness, and it's so it feels so oppressive. It's maybe one of the most perfect like first halves of a movie, like as I've seen. Um, I think it definitely strays off course in the second half a little with some, there's one specific monologue that turned me off. And I think for the, it was the same way for Caleb too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that first half is great. I listen to, I get overwhelmed like almost every week. <laughs> for me, it wasn't even a tale of two halves. It was just that monologue that re- I just felt was horribly misplaced. And I attribute that to single-handedly dropping that rating from what would have been a four and a half to just a four. Uh, just a four, I say, as if that's not, a, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's you know, pretty a good rating. rating. Yeah. But just what, a, what an awesome meditation that, that movie was just some visual poetry. I'd say oh, my list of uh, needing to watch movies. It's is free on Amazon. Prime, everyone. There's no excuse. Wow. Yeah. There you go. So if I just toss one more four star, yeah, in, go ahead. Uh, just cause I think this just exempt. Four Star is what I consider a great movie, and I think this is just a great movie. This is what will exemplify that is Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard. Uh, everything is just awesome. Uh, writing, acting, directing. It's just so, so solid. And I also wanted to bring this up because earlier I said I usually don't like narration movies at all, when I was especially talking about Vice, where I thought the narration was very poorly used oh, but agreed <laughs> very uh, poorly sunset boulevard i think has the single best uh use of narration that i've come across in cinema so if you want to take a look at narration done right i think it's there it's it's enlightening narration it's it's edifying and it it doesn't tell you anything you already know which is such a easy thing to do with narration uh that billy wilder uh, just slips past, and it's just, especially if you're looking for for an older, older movie. This came out in 1950, uh, older movie that, you know, moves by pretty fast, and I think still can maintain intrigue for even people who usually don't find themselves watching uh, black and white. Uh, it's it's just about becoming a star, and I think that is probably even more relevant now than it was back then. It holds up like I haven't seen a ton of it, but even those opening credits right on that sidewalk feels like it could stand up today. I I think I've personally been a little mixed on Billy Wilder, but Sunset Boulevard's definitely something I've been meaning to get to. Love Ace in the Hole. If you're looking for another Billy Wilder, that's another one of my four stars. Ace in the Hole is fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Is it in black and white, you said? It is, yes. yes. When did this movie come out? Fifty. Really? Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And you get it's a four and a half for you and a four for me. Oh, both a four. Okay. I haven't seen it. Oh, you haven't seen but it. But it is free on Amazon Prime, everyone. Uh, again, more <laughs> movies that are free on Amazon Prime. We're just really I, talking about rewatches. This is a very likely candidate to be boosted for me upon really? rewatch, wow. which I don't say about most movies I see. Eric, you got any more fours before we move on to? Kind of what we're going to spend probably a good chunk of time on here, and that is our five stars. Five I'm actually going to take this moment to um, do s- it selfishly take this film 
and is just it, talk about it. It's actually one of my five stars. It's not me, is it? It's not one of mine. No. I don't okay. So, Wait, what do you think it is? I don't think you might be wrong. Oh, really? I, I'm I'm giving you that one. I'm gonna take Children of Men. Oh. Wow. I, thought, I mean, I. It's not a five. It is a five. That's, I just said I'm moving on to. Oh, five, okay. I'm so taking, then I'm taking the stage. All right. All right. To take no, you're fine. Well, earlier. I was before we move on to five. I oh. you know I want I was curious. How many fives do you guys have? I have like how many are you are you gonna talk about? Three or four. Wow, you have a few. Okay. I'll let you guys know. I, I mean, I, I, I had Groundhog Day as as one. Yeah, well, we went through a lot. We've gone through at least. I didn't three mean to steal yours. yours. Yeah, it, there's. Yeah, we've also talked about Lost in Translation and sort of Synecdoche and Synecdoche. So um, there's there's only two left. <laughs> yeah, I only have. Six five star movies. You know what? I only have. You know what? I feel like this would be a miss if we talked about four star movies for Caleb. Higher for me if we didn't talk about the Before trilogy. Oh, I know that's your favorite. (sighs) What to say? Um, Before trilogy is about a couple, um, Jesse and Celine. Jesse played by Ethan Hawke. Celine played by Julie Delpy. They um. And the first movie is from 1994 or 95. Um, Yes. Okay. And they meet um, on a train to Vienna. It's called Before Sunrise. Um, Jesse convinces Celine to spend the night with him in Vienna before he has a flight the next day. Um, Before Sunset. It happens 10 years later. Jesse's doing a book tour in Paris where Celine is from. And they meet up again, and they have time to rekindle their relationship um, before he has a flight a couple hours later. And it's all set in real time, I think. And then Before Midnight is about their relationship around 10 years after that. And it is also filmed 10 years later when they're on a vacation in Greece. Um. Wow, I there's so many things to say about it i think the first thing that obviously jumps out is the script the script is wonderful and it's written by all three of the by ethan hawk julie delpy and also um richard linklater who is the director wow there's it's maybe one of the most transformative the most like affecting group of movies i've seen in my life it's wise beyond its years it's it feels like such a real portrayal of those stages of life not that i've necessarily lived through them yet wow it's just something else there's nothing like seeing there was there's no experience like seeing the beginnings of before sunset and before midnight for me and just having that like massive smile on my face of seeing jesse and celine again just wow like it just wow Caleb, I know you really like this uh, trilogy as well, correct? Well, the thing is, uh, before Sunrise, I first saw it, it was uh, one of my favorite movies. It five star on first viewing. Then I saw uh, Sunset and Midnight, four stars each. That's, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty good. rare that's, for me. That's great. Yeah. And basically everything Eric said. For that, uh, just a month ago, <laughs> um, I rewatched Before Sunrise, and it was 
just totally different for me, which was very, very sad um, to experience. Everything I thought was so rich and full the first time felt hollow. Uh, the love that I thought, that I felt they were trying to experience the connection that they were building originally, suddenly it, it felt to me like Jesse just wanted to have sex with Celine, and that was really the extent of it. Um, it just... It, the first time I saw it, it felt like the movie was so real. Everything was so real. The characters were so real. And this time, it felt like Jesse and Celine were just pretending like they knew things or really felt a connection. And I don't know. that I I take no peace in, in saying this. It's, I really, really am just sad that that I perceived it this way. Uh, I hope that upon a future rewatch, because I'm sure I'll be back to it, uh, maybe when I'm older and and a little wiser and a little wiser, maybe when I'm like the exact age that Jesse and Selena are in this first movie, I'll I'll again, you know, experience its riches uh, because it really is. It was like Eric said, so transformative, um, and I would still absolutely recommend it to to anyone. And you know it's still you know well written and well acted and well directed. It's still you know a very well made film. It just didn't work for me the second time, which I am quite disappointed with. I think what does it for me is the urgency of it all. It's two people who are both like open to love. And have both found someone they're interested in. And they're discussing it as as they realize they like each other more. It's about this like urgency that they like. They can enjoy all this time they have, yet they know it's so limited. And I it, this is definitely intensified in Before Sunset. But the feeling of like opening up about yourself to someone new, the spontaneity, the energy of it, yet also the like subtle restraint in just meeting someone new and not necessarily knowing how they're going to react was really special to me. There's so many potent scenes of just such like almost improvisational yet also not yet such realistic restraint. Like there's that first scene, I think people talk about a lot when they're in the car and Jesse reaches out to like touch Celine's hair. And as as he like is doing, he like sort of things. He like jerks his hand back, and it's it's almost ridiculous that that I don't think was improvised. And also, there's a really famous listening booth scene that I think is just it's magical. And also, there's so many, literally every scene. But um, the oh, when they're sitting at a diner, and they both pretend to have phone calls with their friends, in sort of this like roundabout way of sort of telling each other how they really feel it's it's a type of magic on its own yeah i mean, hard to disagree with that all things that i felt the first time that i hope and expect to feel again later all right well are we on we are five? we are moving on now to fives uh this is probably the 
you know, for this one, you know, obviously we're not by any means saying these are perfect films, but for some yes, reason or another, <laughs> they they hold a near and dear place in our hearts. You know, obviously we not we won't agree on all of these. Um, there are some five stars that I have that I know they won't agree with, and uh, Caleb has <laughs> some fives that I might not, and Eric has some fives that you know Caleb might not. So, but I think regardless, they're all good movies. I think it's just like they've each touched us in different ways. Um, you already introduced one, so. Um, I think what would be fair to do, though, someone else is, take Children of Men. Well, what I think we should do is I think we should <laughs> we should do two each. I think I okay. think six films is going to be a lot to. Yeah. Um, I don't you know a lot of them we won't spend that much time with, but I think I think two each is is is, is a good kind of way. Like, what are our two favorite films? Um, uh, yeah. I <laughs> I guess I'll start. Okay. I I have Please. one, and I know you already know what it is. And I think we both know what it is. I, this movie, I don't know why it affects me the way it does, but every time I watch this movie, I cannot help but cry. And I don't know if it is because of the relationship that exists within the movie. I, I can't tell if it's, I can't tell what it is, but all I know is that it touches me in a way that no other film has ever been able to. And prisoners, <laughs> it unfortunately is not prisoners. Um, it is Interstellar. Um, this movie, I, I I know to a lot of people is very overrated. You know, it's 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 a lot of people's favorite movie. But I have watched this movie, and it's a long one, about almost three hours, right? It's, yeah, it's 170. 170 minutes. I have watched this movie probably about seven or eight times. Um, and I watch this movie whenever I'm feeling down because this movie, it gives me a lot of hope. And it gives me this feeling of being connected to someone even though I'm not with them. The This idea, um, and, and I'm going to spoil it a little bit because, you know, it's been quite a few years and it's just a phenomenal movie. But, you know... Matthew McConaughey plays the main character, and this is set in a, you know, we, there's no exact date, but it's set in a time where Earth has been dramatically affected by what can presume to be um, global warming or, you know, some type of disaster where a lot of food cannot grow and diseases are plaguing um, crops. Um, and the human race, as we know it, is 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 different it's altered differently you know there's no need for engineers anymore there's no need for science it's it's all about survival it's all about trying to survive on this uninhabitable planet that was once such a tranquil home but is now on the brink of destroying humanity and matthew mcconaughey's character is um the father of two children and opts to go out to space to find a new home possibly uh for humanity whether it be uh you know a planet that can sustain all of human life or even a possibility that they create kind of a new society and the the movie you know goes through all kinds of different things and there is a kind of big twist at the end for sure but the the constant theme is this this idea of what it would be like to kind of be away from your loved ones and what it would be like to watch your own children age to be older than you. You know, Matthew McConaughey's character goes to this planet where time is 
so much, uh, I guess, slower or faster because of the black hole that only, you know, a few seconds on the planet is days on Earth. And so he, you know, goes back up to his ship and sees that his daughter, who he left behind, is now older than him. And the the amount of watching that scene just, I mean, I, I can't help but just, just cry looking at Matthew McConaughey's character just, you know, in tears, seeing that he has missed the one thing that he wanted to be, you know, present for, you know, his, his children gr- growing up, you know, and... It, you know, the movie goes on and on and on, and there's there's a lot of amazing scenes, and it's about, you know, kind of this idea of how far, you know, like, what like what matters more, you know, all of humanity or family, and can you make a choice? And, you know, ultimately, you know, in the end, what you see is that, you know, there's this whole thing about, you know, the black hole kind of being a way that uh, Matthew McConaughey was able to communicate with his daughter and things like that, but ultimately the thing was this idea that, you know, because he loved her so much, he was able to com- kind of communicate with her this, the you know, the way to save humanity. You know, it's much more complicated than that. I'm very much dumbing it down. But this movie upon rewatch is just, it's just amazing. I, I mean, the the score, the sound, like the soundtrack just blows me away. There are days I just lay in bed listening to it. And to me, it is just so just so much of a perfect representation of you know kind of venturing out into the unknown to you know kind of for the betterment of humanity but then realizing that you're human and realizing what it kind of means to be human and the connections we have and how how love especially is such a you know we we can't quantify it it's such a unknown to us why it exists how it exists and even its purpose and interstellar is just one of those films that uh, time after time again, I just, I, I get sucked into. Um, yeah. You know, I, I know, I know you guys, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's notable flaws with it. I, I agree. It will not, love this movie. I, I know it's not the perfect movie, but it, it's just, and, you know, in my mind, it is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Um, it is just, it's just a phenomenal movie, and it doesn't, you know, it helps that I love sci-fi. But I mean, I don't, I don't know, Kale. What do you, what do you I, feel? I love Interstellar. What, do, what do you think about Interstellar? What, why is it a good movie to you? I think you, you covered a lot of this really well said. Uh, especially just love, like, especially those questions you ask. You know, why does it exist? How does it exist? What is the purpose for a movie to to get you to ask those questions? about love which is like an un despite being you know somewhat unknown to us is also just a huge part of our lives you know there's got to be something there to to for a movie to 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 get you to ask yourself that like you said that that montage where or i guess when when makane is looking at that essentially a montage of his child growing up and just losing it. It's about love and family, but I mean, not, but, and it's, it's communicated so amazingly visually, uh, and it's entertaining. And, uh, like you said, the soundtrack is awesome. Hans Zimmer did a, did a great job with that. And second best soundtrack of the decade. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of curious to hear what yours is easily phantom thread. Phantom Thread. All right, um, I knew. Yeah, 
You got any? What do you What do you think, Eric, about this movie? <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm the dissenter on this one. Boo! For me, the screenplays the big thing holding me back, and it's also the fact that I think it's when Nolan gets a little like too big, like Inception goes big, like Interstellar is like even like. Bigger. It is definitely his in yeah, And I, I don't film. necessarily know if that's one of its strengths. I don't necessarily know if it's like something to, that's completely like necessary for me. A lot of the like just start, starting from like basic understanding of what's happening. Not that that's like not that that matters and not that you need to understand everything that's happening for a movie to be good. But it tells its story in this like strange like expositional way i think a lot of the part like there's this weird like documentary voiceover in the first like hour that's just like really strange to me that doesn't seem necessary at all um there's a lot of the part in the middle i could not tell you exactly what happens it seems like much of the same with some like really strangely the writing is just really wonky in the middle to me just like some of the lines, some of the like, I, I watched this video about Nerdwriter and there's some clips of Anne Hathaway talking about love that are li- just are a little, just don't work for me. I think it's undeniable that there's like emotional power, especially at the end. And I think Matthew McConaughey puts on a good performance and I always love it when, uh, there's a surprise Matt Damon saving in the middle of a movie. Uh, but yeah, It's true, there was. It doesn't completely work for me. I, I think I prefer the... the pre- something like... the, like, humble, like, heady precision of something like... obviously a very different movie, but, like, Memento, or, like, the, like, controlled, precise, like puzzle of something like, like the, the prestige, prestige yeah. over something like interstellar which is something i know we were going to talk about um but yeah I'll, you know we'll, we'll move on from interstellar you know uh, it's so, just one of those one more thing about go interstellar. ahead yeah you mentioned it being his biggest film and definitely it is but i think what's how he gets around the enormous scope of it and i wrote this and when i originally wrote about it uh i said in his grandest film, Nolan asks the viewer to look at the little things, you know, your parents, your siblings, your children, nothing beyond that vital periphery. Uh, and so that's how it kind of, he, he focuses on the small things despite its size. And I'll say in his most personal film, which I, which I still maintain, I think, uh, Nolan asks the viewer to look within themselves. Uh, in this absurd life, what matters to you and what would you sacrifice for love? It was just about family and love, despite the size, despite the space, despite everything going on. It just it focuses so intently and uh, accurately, in my opinion, on family and love. And what would you sacrifice for love? I think he an- I think he answers it by saying everything, which you can call whatever you can call unrealistic or corny or whatever. But it definitely hit me uh, emotionally. So. Yeah, I, I agree. Phenomenal movie. Um, all right. Uh, Eric. Okay. You want to go next? Uh, five star movie. Um, I'm not gonna talk about 
Children of Men. We can save that for another day. Yeah, it's a I solid I want to talk movie. about a film that... Films maybe that we won't talk about as often. And I think something that's like... A film that's very near and dear to my heart is um, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. Um, I think when I first started watching movies seriously, I'd strayed away from a lot of... Especially when I, as I started watching foreign films, I'd strayed away from a lot of Chinese cinema... I guess Hong Kong's definitely slightly different, but um, I'd never growing up really connected much with a lot of my Chinese heritage. I had a lot of white friends. Didn't really, like, connect on, like, a cultural level necessarily. Um, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love connected with me on such a deep level. Um, it's about... It's about... To um, a man and a woman, um, Mr. Um, Mr. Chow and Mrs. Lee, and they're both married. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wait, Mrs. Sue. And they're both married, and they live in apartments right next to each other. And they come to this realization that their partners are cheating on them with each other. And... Um, it's about them together trying to think of how their partners had fallen in love and it has to do with them recreating and in, in like recreating some scenes of like how they how they think their partners might have fallen in love while in the meantime unknowingly falling in love with themselves while also like trying to like as they realize they care for each other trying to like save face and like conform to sort of like the culture around them and like sort of this there's this theme of surveillance in it um it's beautifully shot one of my favorite scores in the world and there's all in the middle of all these scenes there's these stairway scenes where um maggie chung's characters mrs sue walks up the staircases walks up the staircase and passes um tony Leung's mr um mr chow there's nothing like the energy and tenseness and so much meaning and just like a single passing. The like lighting and use of the color red is absolutely out of this world. It's also, I think, it's to be credited for some of my favorite movies of this, the past like century. Moonlight has such obvious comparisons to In the Mood for Love. There's a, there's a video out there with almost shot by shot comparisons. Like there's at least... 10 to 20 shots that are almost the exact same shot as shots from In the Mood for Love and other Wong Kar Wai films. Lost in Translation takes obvious um, inspiration from In the Mood for Love. It's wonderful. And it, I think it's also one of the first times I was like really like proud of being Chinese. And I think it's something that's, and like it's led me to other, a lot of Chinese language films. So like Kylie Blues by Began from 2015 is one of my favorite movies of this decade. Edward Yang's duo films from the 90s and his last film, I guess, in 2000. So like, um, A Brighter Summer Day, a four-hour, like, sort of family, coming-of-age gangster epic, and his um, family, three-hour family drama, Yee Yee, are all, like, some of my favorite films of all time. And In the Mood for Love sort of helped open that door for me. Awesome. 
No, it that, is. That, no. That's, that's why you. That's why you watch. I mean, that you know the the thing with all these movies is, especially you know, I, I love, you know, as much as we love trashing on some movies that are just, you know, mediocre. I think it's just so much more powerful to hear someone tell why a movie means something to them because that's you just you get to see a part of someone that you don't see a lot. You know, you get to really see how this 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 thing this just piece of media just touch them in such a way that very few things ever do. And no, I I, I you know you know I'm always down to watch uh, foreign films with you now. So uh, incredible! It's like. It's such a sad story of loss, like knowing you can't give to someone you love what you once could, like finding out maybe you're like just the same, finding out like realizing how fast feelings can sneak up on you, like real like realizing like your personal like your personal fantasies. That sounded really weird. Like, it, <laughs> no, like no. coming to terms with like <laughs> coming to terms and like the realization that sometimes reality might not be what you think it is. It's beautiful. All right, Caleb, you're up next. All right, so I'll be talking now about The Prestige. <laughs> oh, baby. <laughs> We've been waiting for this think, one a while. I think everyone in this room is a big fan of. Have we all? Best Christopher Nolan movie. We might have all rated it five stars, or you might have four, four and, and a half. half. I have it at five right now. Eric, four and a half Eric for me. dropped it five. because he's a... It's... It Meanie. is a, <laughs> it is an incredible film. Go ahead, talk about it. So I guess why I feel like I connected so viscerally to this. Um, ultimately, I think the Prestige is a movie about this feeling. This feeling that you can't really describe. You can't. You can't really explain. It's when you're performing, when you're putting yourself on the line and there's an audience and there's people watching you and expecting something great, expecting their lives to be transformed by what you're about to do, knowing that you have that power, you have that responsibility and you're gonna go out and give something your all in order to affect these other people who are waiting on you to change their life. Like that is, what the prestige is about uh specifically here in the case of magicians uh, and i mean partially the reason i connect to that feeling is because back when i was a wee boy <laughs> magic was my primary hobby and there is really nothing like fooling someone like going up and you know asking a spectator to pick a card and and knowing that you know they're ready to be fooled and you have the power to do that. You have the power to, to make them feel like they just experienced something special. That Rubik's Cube trick is one of those maddening things in the world. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> that That's referencing a, a thing I do where I toss a Rubik's Cube in the air to solve it. Uh, anyway... Um, and so not only do I do I connect to to that feeling and that's why I love it but as for the actual movie it's just a great tale of obsession and drive two things uh, not obsession really i mean yes sort of obsession no, 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 i 
in in terms of what I relate to, oh. I, I, yeah, I, I, like I, I don't go into movie looking for. It's definitely about obsession. I don't go in looking for obsession, but stuff like drive and ambition and performance, uh, which also has stuff to do with the final movie I'll discuss later. <laughs> um, but that is just on display, and that is like you just want to reach out and grab this ambition that they have. This this cunning that they have, the the way they are gonna throw away everything to make it to the top is just so entrancing. Like they lose themselves, they lose their families, uh, they lose everything that they value most to make it to the top, to be the best. And there are lots of movies, uh, I think, that try and tackle that, but none so. Uh, smartly and engagingly and excitingly as the prestige i i mean you couldn't have said it any better it's just it's one of those movies that's hard to talk about because it's a movie that i do not want to spoil for sure because if there is one movie you need to experience like it it's the prestige i i, I read you know like it, it's just such it, the whole movie itself feels like a magic trick you know, like I don't want to. You know, I'm not going to spoil anything, but you feel it, there's such parallel between the audience watching the magic tricks, and you being that same audience member, but the movie being the magic trick, and you just feel so, like, you just feel so like snug in what it presents you. But at the same time, there's this this feeling that something is off. But you know, you were talking earlier about movies that have this big twist or have you know, this big reveal. And they're just not rewarding. The prestige, there's no big twist in the essence because everything was right in front of you the whole time. Sort of relates to the entire, like, magic premise. No, exactly. And it's just such a, it's so rewarding because you don't feel like, ah, you got me. You feel like, oh my God. You're like, that, yes. Like you, you feel, you don't feel dumb. You don't feel like you've been misled. You feel like you were just not paying attention. Yeah. You were, you were just so enthralled with seeing what happened. You weren't looking at the behind the scenes. It's just a phenomenal movie. It's, it's a movie. You just like, like a magic trick. You just completely like gave yourself to. It's so undeniably gripping. And it's, it's like part of it is also because there's two of them playing off each other at different points. You're always like empathizing with one of them because you want to know how the other person did it and then the entire movie sort of just like at the end is like it's all like one thing and it's just like it reveals its mechanisms to you in some ways but at the same time you also sort of question like can i really believe this is it all still a magic trick and i don't think you'll ever really find out and that's just part of the genius of it no i mean it is it's it's I think it, you know, while I would, you know, obviously while Interstellar holds a more emotional point in my heart, The Prestige is such, I, I think it's Nolan's most creative films and probably one of the most creative films I've ever seen. It takes such a possibly like normal idea, but knows how to do it so well that it just never misses a beat. So watch it. Definitely. If I, if I had to recommend one movie. Um, that because a lot of people have not seen it, or like it just seems if like if you go to Pomona, I have a Blu-ray. Come take it. <laughs> <laughs> come, come borrow this. Um, yeah, just great film. All right, so we're just gonna do one more. Are yeah. you, you guys got your one mores? I'm gonna, I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna do my last one. This one isn't necessarily a hot take, but 
I know it's a very overrated film, and I want to point out that it is overrated for Don't call movies you love overrated, Zach. The, Stand for by the, it. No, the wrong reasons. Five stars, though. It's <laughs> it's a it's a classic. It is it is the embodiment of what it means to be a kid, to be a teenager, to be a young adult. It is it's taught in nearly every psych class across the country. And you know, a lot of us take the movie for granted, I feel, because it did what it did so well that it it just feels so normal. And the movie is The Breakfast Club. Um, the Breakfast Club will always be uh, my favorite movie of all time. And the reason is not necessarily because it is just a nostalgic, you know, classic, you know, movie. And it's not even because it makes me feel like, you know, a kid or like makes me realize the role I have being in a young adult. But it, the movie is all about these teenagers and in high school and they're all different. You know, they're all they're all have these very stereotypic, you know, uh, attributes. You know, you have the brain, you have the athlete. You know, the basket case. You have all these separate ways of categorizing human beings, these separate ways that we all look at people every day. Everyone does it. I do it. You know, like we all can't help but do it because it feels so natural to us. And the way the movie, you know, I think the perfect way to to encapsulate this movie, to describe this movie is by one scene. And the scene is... It happens towards the end, but then it's finally at the end that you hear what it was. And it is, it's the letter. It's the letter that is written um, by the kid who is the brain. And it is written to the principal who is this guy, or he's not even the principal. He's like the vice principal. He's not the principal. I know that. Or he's just like the teacher that's holding them for the attention. I'm sure you've seen The Breakfast Club. Everyone has seen The Breakfast Club. <laughs> Caleb um, has not seen The Breakfast wow, Club. Wow, I did not know that. But anyway, okay, well, then I guess I'll say, you know, it's about, this, it's about, recording this? It's about a handful of, of teenagers who are, you know, held in a room on a random Saturday for detention. And they're all in there for different reasons. They're all totally different people. People who have never spoken to each other before, most of them. You know, they don't know anything about each other. They've never wanted to know about each other. And this is set in the 80s, by the way, because that's when the movie was made. And these, you know, it's nothing cliche like these kids end up necessarily bonding. But in some ways, they begin to let all the the tags, the labels fall apart. And they begin to really understand the brutal lives that each of them have been through. The, 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 the amount of human that they all possess within each other. You know, you learn about the abusive father, a few of them. You learn about how the, you know, the one that is seen as the pretty one, the, the you know, the the princess is, well, you know, she has her own things going on. And they it, all hate their parents. Yeah, and it's not, it, it, honestly, that's one of the biggest things in the movie is they all hate their parents. And the, the movie isn't parent bashing. What it is saying is that these are people who haven't learned just like us, who they are yet, what they want in a life yet. And they're, they're, they're trying to navigate the ways of high school, which is brutal. And they're trying to navigate the ways of dealing with their parents at a time that is so unpredictable and so just confusing. But the most amazing thing about The Breakfast Club is what I was saying is the very end of the movie. You know, 
after these kids have bonded, they've talked, you know, they, you know, some of them become friends, some of them, you know, you're, you're kind of left wondering, and they talk about this, will these kids ever be friends again after this moment? They, they ask, and some of them say, realistically, no. Others say, I mean, how couldn't we? We've just shared all this, you know, deep things with each other. I've never shared this with anyone. You know, it, it's, it's the kind of stuff that causes those instant connections that you just can't ignore. But there's this idea in it that they are who they are. And those categories of being the brain, you know, the athlete, the basket case, everyone's always going to see him that way. The letter they write in the end is to this teacher saying, we are who you see us. You know, we will always be the brain, the basket case, you know, the criminal. We will always be those people to you, but we don't have to be those people to ourselves. You know, we are obviously more than that. And society will always view us in a very narrow lens. And that's true of everyone. And it's true of who we are now, even, even today. And I feel like it's even more true. The, the feeling I get from The Breakfast Club is that the idea of being narrowed down to the most simplistic ideas is so relevant today that the movie, to me, rings even more true today than it did in the 80s. And it's just a phenomenal film. Um, it will always be a classic. And um, the song that is played at the very end, uh, Don't You Forget About Me, is an amazing, amazing song. And it's just... God, it's... If you haven't seen it, uh, you need to watch it. And, you know, go in with an open mind and, and, and think about think about yourself, especially if you're, you know, kind of a young adult and it's it, it really hits in a lot of different ways. Yeah, it definitely holds up. Um, it's still incredibly funny. Um, yeah, I think you said a lot of what I really like about The Breakfast Club. I think there's one line in The Breakfast Club that really stuck with me that sort of frames the film in a completely different way for me. And it's the line where oh, I'm forgetting who it is. It's one of the girls um, says yeah, like I we can't. become, we like, we really do become our parents, don't we? Yeah. And it completely reframes the film for me. It's, it sort of like gives this voice to like kids, I guess. And these, and that these problems that you have will stick not that they'll stick, but it's it, it speaks to how universal the issues are, and that's part of the reason why it's so timeless. Because well, it, it's just a, it's like it's I don't really know how to explain, but it feels so poignant to me. No, I, I mean I agree, and you know, and I and I forgot about that because that, that to me that might be the most powerful is when they talk about wow, you know, like we 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 really are going to become our parents. Like that's kind of life. Like we sometimes. You know, we, we, we're not the only ones who've ever felt things we feel or go through the issues we've gone through. And, and it's hard to sometimes humanize our parents. I don't really think the film demonizes parents as much as it says, you know what? They were us. At they one were point us too. at one point. Maybe we're them. You know, it's almost like the circle of life. You know, maybe it's, it's almost like this is how life is. But at the same time, maybe there is a way to kind of not be who we're supposed to be. You know, maybe it's not about being who you have to be or who people say you're going to be, but about who you want to be. I, I think there's a lot of ways to analyze the film. Um, it's undeniably great, but I do think there's one scene that really does not work for me in The Breakfast which, Club. What is that? It's the makeover scene. 
Really? Why? Why is that? Is it? Just- it's it's her conforming to what she thinks society wants of her, and that really like rubs me the wrong way. You know, I so it's at I, one at one on like on one hand, it's like her breaking out of the like label that she's the basket case. But on the other hand, even if it makes everyone else like maybe like I guess accept her more, is it really? her and what she wants i think i really took it as in a way i think there's so many ways to look at it and that's what makes the film so interesting i think maybe another way to look at it is you know this is the first time she's ever been like able to she's never wanted to because she's never felt like she could you know you know and i think you can also look at it as maybe is she being you know conformed to this normal idea of beauty and everything you know um and you know obviously the one of the main guys you know ends up you know kind of falling for her a little bit saying you know wow you're so beautiful now so i definitely can understand that but i almost see it as not necessarily a a you know act of conformity but more of an act of independence more of saying people don't have to be again the people they've been like you can change you can be someone different and i'm not saying that like who she was before was wrong but I feel like it gives the ability for you to experiment. It gives the ability for you to find your, you know, your niche in the world. And I think there's a lot of ways to look at it. You know, I think, you know, it's there's a reason it's one of the most analyzed movies, I think, in, you know, uh, you know, psychology classes in high school and college, like, you know, around the country, because it offers a lot to to look into. And, you know, maybe maybe sometimes too much to look into. But you know, I think there's a lot of ways you can look at it. I, I think undeniably, though, it is a classic, and I think it still holds up today. And um, yeah, I would agree with that. I, 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 I do. Uh, yeah, I love it. All right, last two. Am I next? Okay, you are next. Um, big shock, guys. We're not talking about Children of Men today, but the film I'm going to talk about is the Coen Brothers Inside Lewin Davis. Um, that's not pop star never stop <laughs> another day but um wow um I'm pretty in some like in, in some of my friends they know me as someone who is like very not high on the Coen brothers I really was not at is this all... the Coen brothers movie yeah I didn't know that I'm not a fan of no country for old men I'm not a fan not really a big fan I hate The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Like, I actively hate that movie. Um, there's some, they have some okay ones, but never anything that's really blown me out of the water. Um, Miller's Crossing is probably their next favorite, co- like, my their next best film in my eyes after this. But, um, wow. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis is absolutely bonkers. It's about Lewin Davis. He's a folk singer in the 50s who can't really get his career going. He used to have a partner that he was extremely close with since childhood. They made like a record, um, but he committed suicide. Um, and that sort of sets the tone for the entire film. as And it's sort of this personal odyssey for him. As he goes around New York City, he goes to Chicago, he tries to get a record deal. And things just don't really work out for him. Um, there's this symbolic cat that follows him around. Um, the lead, Lewin Davis, is played by Oscar Isaac. I think 
he will never have a better performance phenomenal in his actor um the songs are absolutely incredible and i think the part well it's about undying ambition it's about trying in the face of having no hope even though you don't necessarily know about like a, a clear future but it's also about how you cope with loss and what society like thinks of that um i think the part that strikes me the deepest is lewin's connection to his music um i have played music like almost my entire life it's something that means a lot to me and it's something that's deeply therapeutic to me like playing the viola late at night it's something that's so in tune with how i feel and it's something that's so undeniably connected to how i feel and it's some of the like biggest expressions of emotion that i ever give and i think when lewin picks up his guitar and starts singing his music i get that exact same feeling and that feeling of being fiercely protective of your music like there's a specific scene where he's playing at a dinner at like a dinner party for this um family that's like like he's known for a while they teach at columbia they're rich they're letting him sleep on their couch and they ask him to sing and he obviously doesn't want to um and then when he does sing, he sings one of his songs that he had written with his friend who had died. And the um, the wife begins singing his partner's part and he gets incredibly offended. Um, and something about that just strikes such a deep chord with me. The feeling that that music is so personal to you that you don't. And it's such it's almost such a way of therapy for you to for you to get through your life that you don't want to commoditize it that you don't want to like sully it and you want it to be your like own personal form of expression and that's what it is for him it's what helps him keep going and ultimately it's a very bleak film he doesn't necessarily end up in a place that's better than where he started but um he still has his music to keep him going throughout the entire process um it really connects with me on just like a, a really deep level. It's um, probably, I think, the best Coen Brothers cinematography. The entire film is in this like faded out gray-ish color scheme. Um, the lighting, the, the way the light hits Lewin's face as he's playing his music and just Oscar Isaac's voice, it's... I don't think you can watch it without feeling something. Beautiful. Yeah, Zach and I haven't seen it. Uh, we have not. But one of the best of the decade. It's it's in your I top now we few of all it. time, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, yes, I've, I've heard you talk this movie a lot. When did this come out? Is this a newer? Twenty thirteen. Oh, I. For some it was there. This was newer. Third most recent movie. Dang. I don't think they'll ever top it. They never will. You know, I haven't seen too many Coen Brother movies, to be honest with you. So, but I, you know, I have heard you talk about this movie a lot, and I get very hyped every time. So, all right, Caleb, last right. one to close it out. Uh, Saving the best for last. Just want to say, I agree. 
uh, a movie a movie that will probably always be the most important movie to me. La La Land. Yes. Let the crowd roar and <laughs> yes. boo simultaneously. Oh, no booze. Uh, I mean, it, it'll always be super special to me, similar to what I was talking about, the prestige, about that that feeling of performance. It's That's here. Um, you know, Eric just talked about music uh, for, for Inside Lewin Davis. Uh, this movie single-handedly got me back into music. I took piano lessons when I was for about a year when I was eight, nine years old, then stopped, uh, saw this for the first time in t opening night, 2016. Uh, immediately after I saw it, I went home, found some City of Stars, like <laughs> sheet music from like the trailer because the movie hadn't even been out for them, for anyone to make uh, sheet music. Got that, started playing piano that night, and now it's been almost three years since I first saw it, and I play piano every day because of this movie. So, I mean, th that's just something that you can point to and that I will always have some some physical evidence of, of how important this movie is to me. Uh, and, yeah, I don't think I'd be as... I think it gave me a jolt as far as performance and... Uh, movies go I you know I when I was 16 I guess you know I I had done some theater and you know it had always been some acting had been something that I like to do but then this really just gave me it recharged me and really set me on my life path now is making movies is something that I want to do now and I think I would have it would have taken me longer to be confident about that without this movie. So that's that's a little bit why it's so uh, important to me. But as as for the movie itself, which I just actually rewatched a couple days ago, it's just everything. Uh, to have you know, when I originally the I've seen it six times now. The first five times I saw it. To me, it was all a story of ambition about two artists, and I mean, what that sounds like ta something tailor made for for myself. So, uh, I already knew it was going to be a great experience, but it's just two people working and working and working to be the best at what they do, and about things I care about, acting and and playing piano. Uh, it's about two people using not using each other, but in a way using each other to jump off of to achieve success and goals and fight for survival in, in cutthroat businesses. It's it's people who won't give up, uh, people who dream. And I, that's that whether we want to or not, that's something that we all do. This last time I saw it was the first time I perceived it primarily as a romance. Uh, which makes, uh, I don't know if I need to get into spoilers here, but which makes some parts of the film just so, so piercing. Uh, incredibly bittersweet moments uh, arise from that. And uh, obviously can't forget about the music, which 
is just amazing. Uh, it it brings back the modern musical uh, in film with unlimited pizzazz and and wonder and awe, and it's just some people knock uh, some people knock it for I don't know, Ryan Gosling and and Emma Stone aren't great singers and dancers. But they're they're people, you know, just like, just like anyone looking to, to perform, looking to excite. Uh, they're just doing their best, trying to make it, and that's already a great story. But it's just done so well. Cinematography, unbelievable. Uh, of course, the score, the acting. The directing, even even the writing, I think is is a little undersold by most. It's wow, just such an amazing film. Jacques Demy literally wishes, like <laughs> in his wildest dream. <laughs> and Zach hates it. So I've given this a lot of thought in the last few days, especially because I knew we were going to be talking about this movie. I don't hate this movie. <laughs> I have given this movie an unfair unfair rap. And the reason is I I never watched this movie. I've only seen this movie once. And I did not watch it at a, a moment when I think I needed to. I I just, I don't know. I, I When I watched it the first time, I walked away not being sure of what I saw. And I, and I don't think it was the movie's fault. I think it was... I had a lot to do with where I was in life at the time. I have a feeling, a very strong feeling, when I, because I will, rewatch La La Land, I will feel much differently. I love musicals. I've done so many musicals. They are phenomenal. Um, as much as we have friends that say La La Land's not a real musical, that's not the reason I didn't like it. I, I don't think anything's a real musical. I think anything can be a musical. I think anything can touch people for a reason. It doesn't have to be bounded by this category of what is a real anything movie or musical or, you know, a real dancer, you know, I, 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 I have given this movie, I think probably of all movies, the most unfair judgment, but I don't think it has a lot to do with the movie. Um, I think in one hand, I think, I think I was very much thrown off by the hype of the, surrounding the movie. But I don't think anything particularly about the movie itself has made me say, this is not a good movie. I I have steered in the direction. Uh, currently, it is at a three on my letterbox, which I know is criminally low for compared to what they have it at. Not, um, both not fives. okay. Um, but I am willing, as a newer film you know, enthusiast, uh, to, give it a new, to give it another shot. Um, I, 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 I love Emma Stone and, um, I love musicals and Brian Gosling. I have no problem with, I've, I've never really seen him in many films personally. Um, and there's no reason I shouldn't like this movie, but I think I need to rewatch it. And that's what I will say. Um, I'm not going to say, you know, it is going to be the best movie I'll ever watch. But I, I, I will say it is. Going to be the best <laughs> I do agree that I, while others may say the movie is overrated, I have significantly underrated it, and I think it has to do with 
I just I just think a, a rewatch would serve me well, and I could get a very clear picture of the movie because I think at its core, I would actually very much enjoy it. Um, I do think there is too many people who say it is a terrible movie, and I do not think that is true. As much as I like to joke around with them, I do not think uh, La La Land is a terrible, terrible movie. And I'm willing to give it another shot. I think I think the people who say it's terrible are actually just a vocal minority. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's still the, generally you know, well you know, liked. But the thing is, I've met people. You know, it's, it's funny you say that, but I've met a lot of people who don't like it. And the reason they say is because they feel like it's an annoying film. They feel like it's a pretentious film. And I, you know, I don't, I didn't get those vibes. It's literally a bundle of pure joy <laughs> and bittersweet. Like it's beauty. And I, I and I think, I think it was hard for me to to separate, to maybe go in with the right mindset. Like, is this movie a, a romance? Is it about? Is it about love? Is it about loss? Is it about you know? Is it about your career? Is it about, you know, being the best you? I I don't really know what the answer to that is. And maybe there is no answer, you know, but I do, I do think it warrants another rewatch. Um, and then, and then next time I watch it and the next time we make a podcast, I will give my fair review of La La Land. La La Land is also one of my five stars. It is. Um, it changed my life. La La Land is the movie that really like showed me that movies could evoke so much like move that that movies were so magical. It evokes just the perfect joy and energy in its homage to like the classic like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers like musicals and but it's also such a powerful romance at its core as well. And that completely changed the way I viewed movies. And that was the point when I started to watch movies more and more seriously. Um, and now even like I'm majoring in media studies and want to go into the industry. Like that's all because of La La Land. I think it's so powerful in that, in its like refresher of the musical genre, it like, Justin Hurwitz is an absolute genius. First of all, his score is Thanks. his score and soundtrack are beautiful. There's nothing like sitting down in the theater and watching another day of sun. I don't think I will ever have that experience again. And I think it also redefines it in a way it like it obviously has its influences, like the way the love story sort of is similar to umbrellas of Cherbourg, but it redefines it for a modern era in a way that still, I think, in the modern consciousness is new when we think of musicals, like, as these romanticized, like, at least movie, like, classic Hollywood musicals, as these romanticized love stories. It it talks about fantasy, as you said, ambition, but it's also about pragmatism, sort of, too, mm -hmm. in that final... Like in that final scene, like some, it's not, sometimes you can like care deeply about each other, but it, it doesn't work and it sucks, but sometimes life will take you different ways and you might need to like make a decision between the two. And I think it's an incredibly well done version of something that's trying to say that. And in its form of being a musical also adds in to the depth of the film itself. Yeah. Well said. 
and I have very similar, like I, like I already said, very similar experience how it changed my life. And I'll just leave it with, uh, it is the most inspiring piece of media or, I don't know, anything, basically, that I've ever consumed. No. Amen. You know, I, I you think love to see it. You love, you love to, to see it. it. That, that is a love. You love to see it. You know, I, I think with all these movies that are in our five stars, we. I mean, I know all of us could talk about them for hours because they. There's just there's nothing like it when a movie really, like, touches you. Like it, it doesn't feel like it's even a movie. It feels like it's almost a part of you. You know, like it's an experience. Like, it, it's just it's it's just crazy how something as simple you know. It's a symbol, but not so simple as, you know, words, you know, pictures and sounds, you know, like things, you know, just, just all those things can just create something so amazing. And, you know, while we all have different tastes in movies, the common thing is that all of our movies, they're such, they give such lessons about life, like all of our five stars. I mean, don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I agree. whether it's about. Maybe not always the same thing, but it's it's the the essential things are that good pieces of cinema just they they, they you, touch you, you like they, nothing they, else. Yeah. You that feel sounds something. incredibly strange. <laughs> no, you, <laughs> they... <laughs> you you feel something, and you just they become a part of you, and they become of how you think moving forward, and the decisions you make moving forward. And it, it sounds silly for a, a movie to be like that, but it it really. It really is. I mean, why else would we, you know, do this podcast? Love to you know, see it. it's <laughs> you do. People and... are gonna hate us. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was it. That was that was fun. We went through a lot of our movies today. Um, and hopefully, once you guys get through this entire what three hours yeah, of recording, you'll get a better episode, sense of our taste. Episodes. But send us who your favorite is. Yeah, send us your favorite. Send us hate mail. <laughs> and, um, and love mail. Also, follow us on Letterboxd. That's L E T T E R B O X D. Letterboxd. <laughs> and if Letterboxd is listening, sponsor us. Sponsor us. <laughs> ERZA2018. Thank you very much. My profile picture is of a very cute squirrel sniffing a flower. It, it is. It's a very cute. Letterboxd.com slash CB. <laughs> This has been fun. This was, uh, you know, our kickoff episode. And, you know, now in the future, you know, it's going to be more. We're going to have some more distinct episodes reviewing. I think our next big one is going to be reviewing Joker, which we are somewhat happy, somewhat <laughs> big anxious stuff. to see on Sunday. Um, but, uh, yeah, that'll be our next episode. And, you know, we're going to find a routine and reviewing films, but also having, you know, times like this where we make lists and just talk about films that, you know, are just really you know, either mean a lot to us or don't mean a lot to us. <laughs> but either way, thank you guys very much thank for uh, for listening. And uh, thank you. Yeah, we, we hope to see you next time. Uh, with that said, we're out. Mm-hmm.